Section 8 of An Explorer in the Air Service. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. An Explorer in the Air Service by Hiram Bingham. Chapter 8 The Disadvantages of Being a Pilot. Two or three weeks before the first class graduated from the ground schools, word had come by cable from air service representatives in France that they had been able to arrange with the French flying schools to take a considerable number of our graduates. A few weeks later, we received a request to send across the ocean 500 cadets a month for training in france and were assured by cable that they would be able to take care of even more than this number acting on this information and on other cables that reached us from time to time we were able to offer to honor graduates of the ground schools the privilege of being immediately sent to france to receive training on the latest type of french planes this offer coupled with the natural desire of every young man to get to france as soon as possible and the fact that the new american flying schools in the united states were slow in getting under way and inadequately provided with airplanes added tremendous zest to the work in the ground schools experienced teachers at cornell and elsewhere assured me that the amount of work which these new students were able to do in a few weeks and the amount of knowledge and skill they were able to acquire was a perfect revelation never before had any attempt been made to teach so much in so short a time never before had it been assumed that the average student would work ten hours a day and would strive to his utmost to be included in the upper ten of the class never before had there been such powerful incentives to succeed in the classroom and the laboratory on the other hand never had there been such keen disappointment awaiting those who failed on a second attempt to pass a single examination everyone worked with an intense devotion to the matter in hand the fortunate ones who graduated with honors as the result of almost unparalleled student industry were sent rejoicing to the port of embarkation later on as the cables called for more cadets entire graduating classes were dispatched to france in the latter part of october we were told that we must send at least six hundred a month overseas by this time our own flying schools were getting into shape to receive more than we could send them but it was insisted that the greatest need and the greatest opportunity lay in the flying schools of france so our graduates were rushed to garden city and hoboken as fast as they could pass the final examinations here the rushing stopped due to the ramifications of red tape the necessity of securing satisfactory certificates of typhoid inoculation cumbersome methods of shipping service records and the general inability of the war department to expand suddenly from the requirements of a generation of comparative peace to the demands of a world war there were weeks of delay at the port of embarkation in sending over the first few hundred cadets hence there was lost some of the precious summer and fall which might have been used to great advantage on french flying fields added to this 
was an extraordinarily long period of bad weather in the fall of 1917, which prevented the usual amount of flying, and which interfered with the progress of our own new flying school at Issoudun. Meanwhile, General Squire was not kept well informed of the actual progress of the training program in France, and had to act on meagre cables. About December 1st, an entirely unexpected cable came like a bolt out of the blue, directing that no more cadets be sent to France until further notice. The sailing orders of perhaps 250 cadets were immediately cancelled, and everybody was kept in suspense for several weeks, until it appeared that the plans for rapid training in France had completely broken down, and that no more cadets were to be sent abroad for many months to come. As a matter of fact, no more were ever sent until after they had passed their preliminary flying tests, and as reserve military aviators earned the right to wear wings and the bars of a lieutenant. Never did a bright iridescent soap bubble burst more disappointingly. Nothing that I know of in the war caused more mental suffering or greater loss of morale than the failure to provide properly for the honor graduates who went to France as cadets. As I remember it, about 1,800 cadets had been sent to France with the understanding that they were to receive immediate instruction in foreign flying schools. When they arrived there and found themselves confined for months at a time in concentration and mobilization camps far from sight or hearing of an airplane, forced to study over and over again the very subjects which they had mastered with so much enthusiasm at American ground schools, treated by despairing officers as though they were draft dodgers who needed military discipline and who deserved reprobation rather than sympathy, their souls were filled with bitterness and their minds with evil thoughts against the War Department in general and those officers in particular who commanded them in France. Some of these cadets had no opportunity to receive flying instruction for six months after they reached France. It has been well said that the greatest tragedy of youth is being obliged to wait. When, in addition to the necessity of waiting, is added a burning sense of injustice due to lack of faith and failure to keep promises, the result is truly appalling. There was worse to come, however, for in the spring of 1918 there began to arrive in France as first lieutenants, wearing wings, and speedily to be placed in positions of authority, the very classmates of these unfortunate cadets, who had not been quite keen enough to graduate with honor from the ground schools, had accordingly been sent to American flying schools, received their preliminary training, passed their tests as reserve military aviators, received their commissions, and been sent abroad in response to other cables asking for a certain number of flying officers. It was hard enough to have to wait weeks and months for one's flying training, but it was adding insult to injury when, as a cadet with the rank of private first class and the status of an enlisted candidate for commission, you had respectfully to salute and take orders from these young officers whom you had passed in the race months before, thanks to your own diligence and hard work. And there was the added bitterness that, when you finally received your commission, you would still be outranked due to the priority of their commissions. 
feeling as keenly as i did about this terrific disappointment that had been the lot of the earliest and most brilliant graduates of the ground schools i made every effort when i arrived in france in the spring of nineteen eighteen to try and discover who was responsible for the hideous mistake and why we had received no warning before that cable of the first of december but i never obtained any satisfaction on these points so far as i could learn then no one person but rather a series of events was at the bottom of the trouble to our first representatives who went abroad in the late spring and early summer of nineteen seventeen the french airplane manufacturers naturally anxious to be as obliging as possible had optimistically promised a large number of airplanes both for training and fighting purposes to be delivered at the rate of about one thousand per month their hopes were vain and their promises were not carried out some of the raw material which they had counted on was sunk by hun submarines some of it was diverted to our own program of building in this country perhaps also our representatives had not properly discounted the natural optimism of manufacturers anxious to obtain huge american contracts so far as i could learn unofficially at a time when we should have been in receipt of seven thousand airplanes we had received about one thousand as a matter of fact it was not until june nineteen eighteen that the deliveries began to come anywhere near our demands and expectations then of course planes came through faster than we could use them and caused another sudden dislocation of plans but that is another story as so often happens it takes outsiders to see what is the matter with a factory the men who have been conscientiously trying to make it run become blinded to conditions which an outsider called in to criticize sees at first glance accordingly it was not strange that when general fouloir and his large staff of air service officers arrived in france in november nineteen seventeen they at once saw things in a new light before many days they came to the conclusion that no more cadets ought to be sent to france hence the cable of december the first in the meantime enormous damage had been done to the morale of the cadets the problem of caring for the eighteen hundred who were on hand demanding flying instruction was one that required earnest consideration for many months to come as has been stated the difficulties were intensified by an unusually bad winter furthermore the french system of training which we were forced to adopt was not nearly as rapid as the english system or our own the preliminary training plane in general use in france was the old-fashioned caudron which has no ailerons and no fuselage in order to fly it you have to warp the wings a process requiring a considerable amount of exertion and a very heavy hand rough landings can be made almost with impunity the ship will not dive fast it is in general a very safe old bus resting on long skids and having no wheels it flies at low speed can be landed almost anywhere without crashing and is very amusing to one accustomed to modern planes it was the type of plane used by verdrine 
when he made his sensational landing on top of a department store in Paris in the spring of 1919. All of these things mean that, in our opinion, it was not nearly so well adapted to teach preliminary flying as the Curtis JN-4 or the English Avro. When one considers that the next step in advanced flying, after having mastered the Caudron, was to learn to fly a new part, which is almost the exact opposite of a Caudron, it seems as though the French officers who designed this system had purposely made it as difficult as possible. Instead of being slow on the controls like the Caudron, the Nieuport is extremely sensitive to handle. It will dive with great rapidity. It is difficult to land, and bad landings cannot be made with impunity. For example, on field number two at Issoudun, where advanced students received their first instructions in flying a Nieuport, using the Nieuport 23-meter dual control with an experienced teacher in the front seat, 83 machines were put out of commission on the landing field in two days of fine weather in May 1918. As I remember it, the four remaining machines did not last long on the next day. To be sure, the cause for this amazing casualty list was an entire lack of wind and the tendency of the Nieuport to make a cheval de bois or spin around on the ground as in an old-fashioned square dance. When there is a little wind, it is fairly easy to keep the Nieuport rolling straight ahead as it loses speed after landing. But when there is no wind to assist the beginner in maintaining steerage way, a cheval is difficult to avoid. Since the Nieuport had no wing skids, and since it was very difficult to adjust suitable skids to the bottom of the single V-shaped strut, this tendency to cheval was continually causing the breakage of lower wings. Many of the pilots declared that it was like learning to fly all over again when one went from a slow-going, safe old bus like the Cordon to the fast, delicate, tricky Nieuport. Men who had been trained to fly on the Curtis JN-4 made much better progress, and those who received their first instructions on an Avro went even faster. Our cadets in France in the winter of 1917 to 1918, however, had to depend upon receiving their first instruction on Caudrons. Furthermore, some of the cadets who left New York in November 1917 had no opportunity even to get into a Caudron before June 1918. In the meantime, the Secretary of War had been to France and become personally acquainted with the woes of these unfortunate candidates for commissions. As a result of his visit, those cadets who had not yet passed their flying tests were commissioned in May and June these commissions being conditioned on their eventually being able to fly and subject to cancellation in case they did not succeed. This relieved the situation so far as pay and rank were concerned, but it did not actually hasten their arrival at the front. The goal for which they had worked so hard in those strenuous days in the ground schools in the summer of 1917, namely the opportunity to get into squadrons and fly over the lines, was still far away. Then there came another blow, which seemed directed at what little vanity remained and intended to destroy whatever satisfaction they might feel in having at last 
become officers. In common with all other student officers in France, they were forbidden to wear the insignia of an officer while in a training camp. As most of them were faced with the necessity of spending several months longer in attending the courses in advanced and specialized flying, this seemed almost like taking all the pleasure out of life. To be given a commission and then told you could not wear the insignia connected with it was like giving candy to children and telling them they could not eat it. There were several reasons for this decision on the part of GHQ. In the first place, it had been the custom in the officers' training camps at home for officers who held reserve commissions and had been sent to these camps to receive further instruction to remove their student insignia as long as they were student officers. In the second place, many of the cadets were very unmilitary, and it was believed that it would be easier to secure adequate military discipline if the students did not obviously outrank the instructor sergeants who were giving lessons. In the third place, there was a story that what finally brought about the issuance of the order was an occurrence in one of the advanced schools of the staff or the line. It seems that a number of field officers arrived to take the course. An efficient young second lieutenant, who had been at the front for several months, attempted to take them in charge and have them march in an orderly manner to their barracks. To this the colonels and majors made amused protest and decided to go along as they pleased, feeling that it was not necessary to take orders in this manner from a second lieutenant. Consequently, in order to enable the efficient but youthful instructors to accomplish their ends with greater facility and less embarrassment to themselves and to their students, the general order was issued that student officers would remove insignia while in school, an order which our young pilots felt was directed particularly against them. In the course of time this was changed, but in the meanwhile, Although it probably was of assistance in maintaining discipline, it did not help to cheer up the student officers of the air service. To be sure, in itself, it was only a little thing, but coming as it did on top of so many other indignities and disappointments, it was felt very keenly. The loss of morale that followed in the wake of cadet delays and disappointments showed itself in a number of ways, which, in turn, reacted on the fortunes of the unhappy flying officers. The sentries at the gate of one of the flying schools would stop young officers with the irritating question, Are you an officer or a flying loot? Some of the pilots had been so badgered and tormented by their superior officers that they no longer desired to be good soldiers. Some instructors maintained that many of their students did not wish to learn to fly, were afraid of the air, and were anxious to avoid its dangers. It was said that the students seized every opportunity to offer excuses for not flying. It was claimed on the part of the students that their teachers were often unsympathetic and even brutal in their attitude and that it was impossible to do good work under such methods of instruction. The truth was that officers in charge of flying, working under a great strain, sometimes failed to take into consideration the reasons for this loss of morale and attributed it most unfeelingly to other causes. Undoubtedly, there were serious instances of harsh treatment by instructors. 
occasioned by misconduct on the part of students but causing in their turn still further lowering of morale and loss of interest in the air service another disappointed hope was that of becoming junior military aviators the boys used to refer to the printed statements that on completing the rma test the pilots would be commissioned first lieutenants and that on completing the more difficult j m a test the pilots would secure an advancing grade and fifty per cent increase in pay there were very few of the thousands of young men that came into the air service during the first few months of the war that did not expect to be captains before very long provided they could learn to fly at all this was one of the reasons why they volunteered to undergo the most dangerous training of any branch of the army having enlisted in the signal enlisted reserve corps and having started on the aviation road there was nothing for them to do but swallow their disappointment when as the months went on they discovered that most of them were destined to be second lieutenants and that they were never to be allowed to take the j m a test and secure additional rank and pay as contemplated by congress and set forth in the original official bulletins this disappointment was a source of constant grumbling and complaint and the cause of many accusations of breach of faith and unfair dealing no business organization which failed so glaringly to keep faith with its employees could expect to have their loyalty it was certainly most unfortunate that the unwisdom of promising so much rank and pay to youthful high-spirited boys of nineteen and twenty could not have been foreseen earlier an immense amount of complaint was caused by the necessity of arbitrarily setting a date which affected thousands of cadets who had been accepted as candidates for the first lieutenant's commission and were then undergoing or awaiting training and stating that if they graduated or took their rma test after this date they would automatically become second lieutenants in a majority of cases it was entirely beyond the control of the cadet as to what date he should graduate in many cases injustice was unavoidable the consequent lowering of morale due to infection and contagion from the disappointed and disaffected aviators was very natural there were other causes of dissatisfaction the amount of power rank and promotion given to non-flying officers the slowness of promotion among flying officers the unwillingness of the army to provide a comfortable blouse for the pilot and the failure on the part of the army to realize that different standards of work and discipline should be expected of a highly technical and purely voluntary service like aviation where individual initiative and high morale are so necessary it would seem obvious that in no branch of the service should more attention be given to preparing carefully thought-out plans which it will not be necessary to change in such a way as to destroy confidence and hope changes that disappoint and hurt the feelings of those whose morale must be built up should be avoided at all costs everything should be done to make the young pilots glad they belong to such a keen corps instead of being sorry as so many of them were that they had ever been misled into joining the army air service the story of the flying cadets is the worst page in the history of the air service 
they were forced by a combination of circumstances over which no one seemed to have any control to suffer serious and exasperating delays disappointments and raw deals which tended to break their spirit and destroy their self-respect notwithstanding this the great majority of them completed their training and performed such duties as were assigned to them to the best of their knowledge and ability it should not be forgotten that their sufferings were due fundamentally to the blind unpreparedness with which we drifted into war recording by asterix end of section eight